I think the only way the system changes um, is more of us. And that's not just like encouraging more people to start cash, pe- cash PT or cash pay practices, but it does mean support clinicians like that. So the big question is, how can physical therapists create a successful career earning six figures or more and give patients the care they need without relying on insurance companies for reimbursement? If you want to learn the answers to those questions and more, then you've come to the right place. My name is Dr. Aaron LeBauer, physical therapist, business coach, serial entrepreneur, and author of the Cash PT Blueprint. Thanks for joining me today. Hello, welcome back to the Cash PT Lunch Hour podcast. This is your host, Aaron LeBauer. Welcome to the show. I've got an amazing guest today. Uh, his name is Paul Kaloran, and I've known Paul for a few years, and we've met in person a handful of times. And uh, I thought he'd be a great guest to come on the show because he's not only open to cash practice, he's closed one down, he started another business, he's doing a lot of great things out there for the physical therapy profession, and I wanted to make sure that we got his story and all his business nuggets. So, Paul, thank you so much for uh, joining us today. Uh, appreciate you spending some time with us. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. I mean, thanks for that very flattering intro. I mean, I we've known each other for quite a while. You helped us get our practice started, so I've been a big fan uh, early on of you and, and throughout the process. So happy to be a part of the, the lunch hour here. Awesome, man. Well, thank you so much. Um, well, what I want, I always love to do is start with everyone's story, everyone's why, like, how did you, like, how'd you get into physical therapy? Like, were you, were you like 16 and, you know, playing soccer and going, all right, I want to be like a physical therapist or did it come after college? Like where, where in the journey did this, this like transition occur and the idea? Yeah, you sound like you've heard that story before, because <laughs> I think you got it exactly right. I think I was 16. I mean, I was multi-sport, baseball, basketball, football. Um, so football injury, I actually went through like a six-inch growth spurt one summer, and just my skeletal, my muscular system took a a few months to catch up. So I was having back spasms as like a senior in high school. Mm-hmm. I think my initial exposure was actually my mom is a licensed massage therapist inside of a chiropractic clinic. And then I saw a PT there. So that was my initial exposure. And really, I mean, um, that kind of built the, the belief, but kind of the passion for just the, the body's ability to heal itself without surgery, without pharmaceuticals. So that's what got me into physical medicine, physical therapy, but also that story kind of like, um, I don't really engage in the politics of like chiropractors versus PTs and using massage therapists. Cause mm-hmm. as I just said, I was kind of exposed to multidisciplinary and seeing how it all worked together. That's awesome. Did you, yeah. um, how old were you when you got your first massage? I actually think my mom was going through massage school when I was in high school. So probably freshman year. Mm-hmm. So first massage was being a test subject for her. And really aside from my mom, um, I don't think I've had a, uh, like a professional massage except for like in Mexico on vacation. Yeah. That's, that's actually fun. my only exposure to it. Uh-huh. Yeah. My kids got theirs their first day alive, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is really funny. I mean, I got one when I was in high school. Um, I think I was 16. My mom took me, you know, I was riding bikes, my legs hurt and she's like, you need to get a massage. And I was like, Oh wow. Look at that. I feel much better. Is that how you got interested in the massage? That was the original like exposure to it. And I was in college and I don't know if I was pre-med or not, but my mom was like, you're good with your hands. You like solving problems. Like maybe you should think about doing massage. At that point, I think I must've been like out of the pre-med like trajectory. And um, I took a uh, yoga class in college for a half a credit, which we needed like five credits a semester. I got like a half a credit for yoga. Yeah, I did that too. And we did a, uh, she brought in these guest speakers and we did meditation and one of them was a massage therapist and taught us massage. I'm like, oh, this is great. But it wasn't until after I tried to get a real job before I ended up going. <laughs> no, that's cool. So, um, so also you went to, went to college, like going to college, did you know that you were going to go to PT or was it just kind of like rambling around it, stuck in your head, bouncing around for a while? Yeah, I knew it was PT. And actually, I I, was born and raised in Wisconsin. So mainly financially, but also some academic scholarships. I stayed Mm -hmm. in the UW system. 
I went to University of Wisconsin Lacrosse because I knew they actually had a, a really strong PT program. Okay. So initially, it was going to be bachelor's all the way through PT school at lacrosse. Wow. So, so you was, football, lacrosse, and what else? Well, lacrosse is the name of the city. Oh, so lacrosse. Okay. I played football at lacrosse. Okay, got it, got it, got it. Sorry. But that's funny because we'd even be like going to an away game, going through the airport. And I mean, your football team, we have some 300-pound <laughs> dudes. And people would stop us like, oh, where do you play lacrosse? <laughs> it's like, no, we play football at lacrosse. But, that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, yeah, uh, you're also one of the other people that's like taller than me that I've met. <laughs> from the I think we're pretty close. Yeah. When I used to have the faux hawk, that gave right. me like an extra two inches. I think it did. No, I, I, <laughs> so, um, so you were playing football in college and you guys were, you were at University of Wisconsin lacrosse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I interrupted you, so go ahead. Oh, so it's Division Three football. But uh, I guess I was saying initially it was the plan to do PT school at lacrosse. I knew PT school was the plan. So that, you know, your first guidance counselor, uh, academic counselor meeting at lacrosse, I just said, what's the best um, bachelor's to get me into PT school? And they actually guided me towards uh, biology. So I have my bachelor's in biology. Okay. I think hindsight... Um, it's probably not the most directly applicable bachelor's. I think it prepared me well for the rigor of a DPT program, but I mean, there are a lot of uh, courses that I was not a huge fan of in biology. I think the kinesiology, the exercise science, I mean, maybe that has more direct uh, translations to PT school, but got my bachelor's at lacrosse uh, in biology and then wound up DPT at Regis University graduated DPT 2010. That's awesome. And that's in Denver, right? Yep. 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 Awesome. And then did you go from there to Washington or? Uh, I did. So when I graduated May 2010, Colorado, I knew I didn't want to go back to Wisconsin. Reimbursement or I guess salaries, compensation for PTs in Colorado is really poor. Mm-hmm. So I was actually looking, I was applying for jobs in California, Arizona, Alaska. And yeah, I wound up in Seattle right away. I was actually there for a year before going to Minneapolis for a year and then winding up back in Seattle. So did you just go and like get a job like outpatient clinic somewhere? Yep. Yeah. How'd that work out for you? Um, Poorly. (laughs) I mean, hindsight, I mean, it puts you on this path of like, you know, the cash practice and all that. I'm sure we'll get into it. But yeah, I was definitely one of those you know, Thundercat autonomous clinicians, you know, I, I negotiated hard for my con ed budget, I used it, I used the in house mentoring, like, I I accomplished a lot in that first year. And I'd actually say if there is any silver lining to just going into one of those high volume outpatient machines, is I got lots of reps. I mean, as a new grad, your assessment, your um, like being very, um, technical with your skills and being very efficient that first year I got thrown into the fire and I burnt out. I mean, that's the moral of the story is I burnt out in less than a year with all the con ed courses I was doing patients I was seeing and just, you know, trying to take advantage of every opportunity I had, but a year down the road, it's everything that you know, and that we read about is I can't imagine doing this for another 20 years. I mean, physically, mentally, I just, I don't think it's sustainable. What was that moment that you had where you were like, this isn't going to happen anymore? I mean, for me, it was literally, it was physical fatigue. I mean, I, as a, as a, I like to think I'm a pretty resilient person mentally and physically, but um, I was spending my weekends physically recovering from just seeing patients nonstop and mentally recovering from having to do notes and everything. And I mean, it, it, it was a tough paradox because Um, I almost got rejuvenated with every patient I saw. I'm like, okay, this is why I'm doing it, blah, blah, blah. But as soon as they're out the door, it's, it's the notes, it's the looking at your schedule. It's, there's no time for physical and mental rest. And and that just caught up to me. Yeah. Is that because you're doing a lot of manual work or is it just high volume of people or a combination? So yeah, uh, a lot, everything. I mean, it was high volume. We had, uh, 40 minutes for an eval and 20 to 30 minutes for a, a follow-up. So full schedule. And I mean, I guess good for the business is we were very busy. There was no shortage of, of new patients. Yeah. Um, but yeah, coming out of Regis and then a lot of my 
continuing ed in that first year was NIOPT, so very maintenance-based. So I was very manual heavy, very joint-based with my assessment and my manual treatments. So again, physically that's uh, intense, but even like timing and like trying to be efficient with that is, uh, it's challenging. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about it. Um, was there like, when did you decide that uh, you were gonna go open your own business? Like what was, what was that process like? And, and you did it with a partner with Austin, like yep. did you guys meet and chat about it? Was it like you did it and you're like, hey, come join me. Let's like, how did that all work out? That's fun to, to reflect back. Cause I guess filling in the gaps, I left the outpatient ortho. I just took a travel contract in Minneapolis. Mm -hmm. um, and that was a nice, just like, um, just mentally, physically, like to recover, recuperate a little bit. But my next contract actually brought me back out to Seattle and I was working on campus at Microsoft. Mm -hmm. They have a, a on-campus health facility and it was everything you want. I mean, patients could walk right in. They weren't pressuring us for uh, like billing units and filling our schedule. It was really built to be like the ultra convenient uh, health resource on campus. So I was there for six months and I really saw what therapy could be if you're not focused on billing and not focused on like how many patients can you see in a day. Yeah. That's where the ideas of the cash practice began. And I mean, as you know, and anybody who knows me, that was also around the time when I became certified in needling mm -hmm. back when Washington was more of a gray stance on the topic. So needling kind of gave us the, uh, the niche market in our minds that we could go start a cash practice. But I really think just stepping out of the outpatient ortho machine for a little bit and then going into a setting where it was not focused on reimbursement and, you know, as many patients as you could see, it was like a mental reset. Yeah. And that's really what prompted the, uh, the passion, the energy to actually start up our, our practice. And I think Austin, it was around the same time. I mean, he and I were classmates at Regis, so we had kept in touch. He actually worked at Pro Club, which prior to the, um, the health center on campus was the biggest Microsoft outpatient ortho clinic. So around the same time, we just went in 50-50, started our clinic in Kirkland called Doctors of PT. Mm -hmm. uh, and we did really well for about five years. That's awesome. I loved your logo, your branding. It was great. You know, I, I mean, I think looking back, I'm like, okay, you were, yeah, I think on Twitter it was DPT with needles or something like that, right? That's uh, still my Twitter handle. <laughs> okay, good. You haven't changed it. But yeah. so that was where you guys um, like developed your, your niche, your, your brand, your, your basically your USP, your promise was that's what you did was how did that help you? And, and did that, uh, like, was that always a, a bonus thing for you guys? Or was that, did that hinder you at all in any way? What's that having a partner? Having, well, having a partner, but like being like, you were like the, like you said, you were like the needling, like it was like, like branded DPT yeah. with needles. You were doctors of PT, which is a brand I think is great, but it was yep. like this piece to it that was about, you know, the trigger point dry needling and that's what we do. And um, yeah, I mean, as I mentioned, it became a negative when kind of the rug got pulled out from underneath us in Washington with an attorney general opinion. Mm -hmm. um, but prior to that, it was like, it was the thing that right. set you apart. Right, exactly. And I'd say like, we, again, we were very successful. Um, it wasn't even necessarily our intent to become known as like the needling PTs. Mm -hmm. It's just one of those, I mean, we were in a state that had really, it's, you know, you're on the ground floor of people recognizing it and becoming aware of it. Um, but it's just one of those modalities that people tell their friends and family about. So it wasn't even completely intentional that we just became known as the dry needling PTs. Yeah. And again, in the cash pay setting, uh, we all know that those patients come in and it's like, yeah, I have my other PT that accepts my insurance. I'm here to see you for fill in the blank. I mean, it might be um, it might be that you do online stuff. It might be that you have an hour long one-on-one. -on -one. It might be that you're a specialist in pelvic health, et cetera. So mm -hmm. needling became our fill in the blank for why our cash practice grew so quickly. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember like, it wasn't like you guys were advertising that you did it. It wasn't like that was all over your Instagram. You know, right. you guys were posting your fun photos and, and things, but it, but I know because I know you guys, it was a big part of 
what attracted people to you guys at least initially and yep. um how did you get were you able to get people who came to see you just for needling and were doing insurance somewhere else were you able to get them just to come do their whole plan of care with you and and stay with you guys yeah and i mean this kind of gets into um a whole like philosophical conversation first of all uh i teach for kineticor now it's needling even as a clinician is very exciting it's that shiny new tool i mean we get really excited to use it on every patient uh, it's my my explanation on courses but with every patient i see is like even if we elect to use needling this session or for now um, it's not the only thing we're going to do and really if if you're just here for needling um, you're not here for the right reasons and we're not going to get the outcomes we want right. so there are patients definitely that um they come just to see you for needling, but it's the explanation of this is a small, and it's actually one of like the more immediate, like the faster, uh, the more effective, but faster working tools I have, meaning we're only going to be needling for a certain, like a very small portion of the, the session or throughout the plan of care. And it really is maybe the other manual techniques, but it really is the corrective exercise. It's the, the modifications we're going to make after or how we reinforce what we're doing with the needle that's going to have longer lasting effects so yeah. yeah even if they're there for the needle you kind of have to talk them down and explain small piece of the puzzle here mm -hmm. do you ever have people come in and and after a while say oh well i can get it cheaper somewhere else was that happening at all with you guys or was it i mean again just in the life span of where we were in washington we weren't hearing much of that yeah i do treat in other states i have other licenses and um it is kind of a different conversation and mm -hmm. you do hear that is that while well, this other PT accepts my insurance, I might go try them and I'm just fine with that. Like I've kind of refined my, my buyback pitch, which is that's fine. You know, I actually have a list of good needling people that you should go see if you're not getting the results that you want or if it's not lasting as long as you want. I mean, come back and see me because right. even in a state where needling is uh, everyone's needling, uh, we're almost to the point where dry needling, the term is like manual therapy. That can mean like the way someone uses a needle can be very different than the way I'm going to use a needle. And it's just, um, just clinic. Yeah. I guess yeah. I won't get too deep yeah. into that. I mean, but like here, North Carolina, we, it's now like pretty much like carte blanche. We can do whatever we want. And it's almost un not even say unregulated. It's like the PT board can't, do anything because that got thrown out but then the other thing got there and whatever it's like i don't know the rules but it's yeah. basically um it's it's pretty good i was like side note i was actually just in north carolina in the outer banks for a, a family vacation oh awesome so it's beautiful, it's beautiful there out there yeah it's amazing were you guys in duck Kerala, somewhere else um hatteras hatteras yeah hatteras island what's the name of the city there yeah that's awesome yeah, yeah. But I mean, so like nowadays, you know, everyone in town, not everyone, but half the PTs in town do needling. Right. You know, it's, it's more popular in a lot of states and there are places like California where PTs still can't do it. And right. still effective at treating patients. Right. You agree? I is agree. There, while we're on the clinical side of things, is there one thing that you think that if, if someone's interested in needling or is doing needling that, that you see as, a, as someone who teaches us pretty much you teach almost like once or twice a month, if not more, right? Yeah. I mean, actually two to three weekends a month between like the courses and then the conferences and stuff. But yeah, it's, it's been a big part of what I do the past few years. Yeah. What's your big clinical pearl that you're seeing that people are maybe missing? I'm not, I don't want to talk about like a specific injury, but like in the theory of like what they're needling or why or, or how they're using it. Like what's the thing that you see that maybe people are missing out on when they first get into it or, even after doing needling for like five, 10 years, like you have uh, that, that they could do to improve or, or think about it in a different way. Yeah. I mean, that's obviously an, it depends answer. And actually what I kind of like about how we teach is we're uh, try not to be too dogmatic that like the way we use it is the only way, or even like decidedly the best way to use it. It's just one of the ways to use it. Mm -hmm. Like both like, technically using the needle, but also uh, within the scope of your practice. But I think it goes back to what I said, is that um, if you are just needling, or if you are heavily basing your plan of care just on needling, I think just that mindset is flawed. 
I mean, we should be using this as a reset. Mm -hmm. I would say it's one of the most powerful, uh, one of the most immediate resets I've had. Like, again, I was very manipulation. I was very joint-based early on. And not even the needle, but I think the needling mindset puts you in much more of a neuromyofascial or just like, what sort of input can we give our patient's central nervous system? I have just found a needle to be one of the most, it's a novel input, one of the most profound inputs and most immediate um, inputs that you can see changes with. But if that's all you're doing, if you're failing to uh, use the corrective exercise to make changes with lifestyle modification, I mean, if we have a really powerful reset, I'll steal the, um, the Gray Cook analogy. It's like reset, reinforce, reload. It's like reset is just like flipping the fuse box or the light switch. Right. And if you fail to fix why that fuse keeps going out or why this lights keep turning off, whatever analogy you want to use, mm -hmm. it's the reinforcement and ultimately reloading our patients that you get longer lasting outcomes. Yeah. I'd almost say, especially in the pendulum of like, you get trained in needling, it's really exciting. You want to needle every single patient. Mm -hmm. Eventually you kind of swing back to using fewer needles or using it less, relying on it less than maybe you did initially. Right. It's kind of like if I was trained in spinal surgery, everyone who has a problem, yeah. I want to do spinal surgery. Yeah, I think it's true. And it, it's probably not just needling. I think if you, if you're a highly trained manipulative therapist, you probably manipulate more people. That's just normal. And maybe early on, maybe you manipulate more than you necessarily have to. Like it's just kind of something you rely on, something you're really passionate about and interested in. It's not a negative. It's just what's the least prescriptive dose? What's the biggest change you can have with the smallest amount of dose? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. No, I totally, I totally agree with that. And I think it's, it's interesting. I mean, do you think maybe that's similar to or, or maybe it's different, but it's like all of a sudden this week, I'll have five people come in with a shoulder pain or rotator cuff problem. I'm like, wait a minute, is this a pattern that I'm getting into there? Or um, is it just a pattern I'm seeing right now because I'm observing? Right. You know, so yeah. um, that's, that's awesome. You know, here's the, the thing that I've seen and I haven't heard this. I'll say this. I haven't heard this in the last six to 12 months, but for a while I was hearing this a lot where and, and even seeing it on people's websites is like, just come in and pay me $15 or $20 uh, for whatever needle you were, whatever muscle you want me to needle, you know? And that was the thing that I was seeing. And it's like, that's not physical therapy. That's right. just me having the people direct me into where they want me to treat them. And that's not using our critical thinking. And even, um, you know, is that something you've seen or is that just like Aaron LeBauer seeing that? Uh, it's definitely something I've seen. And I, and I will say, I mean, back to everything I just said, foundationally, I kind of disagree with that. If all you're doing is needling, then you're missing a big part of the picture. Yeah. However, I think there are very specific subpopulations that benefit from that. Mm -hmm. Like I said, like if dry needling is this big umbrella of manual therapy, there are some people that aren't addressing active pain, active dysfunction, or even an active injury, they are using it. And it's almost the realm I live in now, which is CrossFit, mm -hmm. NFL athletes, triathletes, is they're using it as a recovery tool. Mm -hmm. Okay. So in that, in that instance, I still think you need to be doing your other modalities, your other, uh, the other aspects of your clinical care. But I think if your intent is really just recovery, um, you might be relying more on the needles. But yeah, if you're, um, I've seen that business model and just that mindset. If it's just like, uh, pay me this much for two muscles, this much for four muscles. First of all, business wise, that's a slippery slope. I mean, are you going to treat more or treat less based on what a patient's paying you? Mm -hmm. I would say the mindset should be, you need to treat what you're going to treat. You need to treat what you're seeing and what needs to be addressed. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, thanks. Um, thanks for that. Uh, you know, I think that, um, there's a lot of pieces about this and I think it's, it's, it's interesting to have you here because it's like, how do we run our business and do we run it based on our clinical goals or do we run it based on like a business goal and can we actually separate that all the time? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> that's the question. <laughs> right. Cause I'll say, um, I've asked the same question to myself cause you know, right now and even back when we had our, our brick and mortar clinic. I mean, there's people that, um, 
if they're offering to pay you and really they are just coming to get needling, mm-hmm. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a discussion. It's a negotiation. Like we would see patients for a full hour and, you know, again, to some degree, an athlete would say, I have my exercises. I see my trainer. I have my other PT. So I'm just here to lay on the table for an hour. And it's kind of a negotiation of like, like they are paying out of their pocket. So my spiel again would be, you know, I get it. Like, I'm not going to spend 30 minutes teaching you new exercises because you have some mm-hmm. I reinforce the importance of those exercises. But I'm like, all right. I mean, these are hour long sessions. Really, I, your feedback is very valuable to me. I mean, what you're here coming here for and your goals and what you want to address, that's high on my priority list. So we're going to do that. But the last 15 minutes is mine. Mm-hmm. Partially, there's like these corrective exercises to address a specific dysfunction. Or you can just frame it as, you know, uh, these exercises, these movements, these correctives that we do after the needling will actually decrease your soreness it'll improve your performance, that sort of thing. Yeah. Almost like you adapt your spiel to, I mean, if it's for recovery, you say these exercises are really going to help um, mitigate that post-treatment soreness. You can improve blood flow, blah, blah, blah. Or if it's a movement dysfunction, say these, this one or two correctives, I mean, I'm, like, I'm not going to give you 10 exercises, these one or two correctives uh, after needling, or we have this very small window right after needling that it's going to be most effective. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, I mean, <laughs> Dry, getting needled isn't the most relaxing thing. If I just want to go lay on a table, <laughs> like I'd rather go get a massage, if, especially right. if I'm tired and I've been training for 25 hours a week. And, um, but, but I get it. It's like, I do, I mean, I see people and there's some people that uh, they don't, you know, need, they don't have a medical necessity. They just work out a whole lot. Um, they move their body a whole lot and they've got a couple dysfunctions that aren't going to be corrected or fixed to like ideal, but they're always moving in a way that they want to um, improve their performance or maintain or continually get their body to the point where it can move better than it was last month. And I have no problem seeing those people. Yeah, exactly. And movement health is a term we're kind of moving towards, even for eye dry needle. Mm -hmm. It's not just needling. It's like, why do you needle? And why, why are we PTs? And the term, that we've kind of landed on is movement health. It's almost like movement hygiene. It's, uh, I mean, whether you're addressing an injury or uh, trying to improve performance, it's, mm-hmm. it's movement strategies and movement health. Right. Yeah, I mean, because I think like a, people get stuck on the, well, if you don't, if, if the person isn't in acute phase or they're not injured, like we need to stop treating them, it's not ethical for me to keep treating this person as a physical therapist. But yet I can still look at someone without pain and go, okay, this is where you need to improve your movement. And you can, we can improve your quality of movement, which can improve your performance or your quality of life. Do you? Yeah. Do you I, actually, I actually do uh, disagree with the idea that as PTs, we should only be addressing pain or injuries. I do think that, I mean, I do think in general, our, our profession is progressing to highly skilled, highly specialized clinicians, like very specific subpopulations or very specific techniques. Um, And there is room for us, like in the injury prevention, the recovery, the performance realm. I think if we say that we are only rehabbing injuries or we're only addressing pain or, you know, the certain window of acute to subacute or potentially chronic uh, injury that we're really missing a big part of the pie. And I think there's some PTs that are doing really well in the recovery space, mm-hmm. in the, in the performance space. So I kind of disagree with the thought that we don't belong there, I guess. Right. Yeah. I mean, I like, I hear people like, well, you can't charge, like, how could you charge cash? And I think it's based on what insurance companies would pay. And that's how we've been trained to think that when therapy stops, when insurance will stop. And it's kind of, right. it's not, <clears throat> I don't think people connect those dots and realize that like, there's still a huge gap between when insurance stops and where a trainer or strength coach can pick someone up and take them to the next level. Cause there's, right. a, there's a big gap, right? And, you know, people aren't willing to say, Hey, well, the people who are saying, Hey, willing, I'm willing to get in that gap are crushing it right now because it's, it's devoid of people with uh, the knowledge and skill that we have, I think. Right. Completely agree. Yeah. So what's the, uh, 
So what's the big opportunity there for someone who has a business or wants to start a business while we're on the business topic of that? Like what's the opportunity that you see that you would jump on if you didn't already have to? Yeah. I mean, it's a great question. Cause I, um, I don't think everyone necessarily is cut out to run their own cash practice. Cause I think it takes a, a mental energy and a passion that just not everyone enters in the profession. Some people want a very comfortable, reliable job at a clinic and that's fine. But if we're just talking about that subset of people that are frustrated, burnt out with that system and they're looking to improve that system either personally or on a systemic scale nationally, um, I do think everyone has either a passion or a very specialized skill set. And that's not even necessarily needling, manipulation, etc. I mean, it could be knowledge-based, pelvic health, bike fitting, all of that. Or it could just be like you're a very um, passionate, compassionate clinician. Like you really dig in and you, when you spend an hour with someone, uh, it's powerful, like that connection with your patients. So I think everyone has like a skill, whether it's a, a clinical skill or like a, a physical skill. Um, that they can leverage and they can, I guess, market or base a practice upon. Yeah, that's awesome. So, Paul, tell me, like, let's walk back to your business in in Washington. And, you know, you guys ran that thing for a while. You did really well. Um, what was the transition from that to where you are now with eye dry needle and, and supplying, uh, you know, you guys uh, have surgical grade needles for dry needling? That's right. And actually they, they overlapped. So it wasn't like I'm done with clinical practice. I want to go sell products. That was really never the effort ever. So I think we founded eye dry needle in 2014 and we had our clinic uh, DPT until the end of 2015. Mm -hmm. So obviously we're still like in this very specialized kind of this emerging market of dry needling. So that's kind of the common thread that led us there. Um, and I will say clinic wise, we actually closed our brick and mortar clinic at the very end of 2015 was for a few reasons. I mean, we were very busy, which is a blessing, but also I was teaching more for Kineticore. I dry needle business was getting heavier. So just physically, it actually became challenging to continue running a practice. That is also around the time when the Washington Attorney General weighed in and said, right now, needling doesn't appear to be in the scope of practice. So obviously, um, that was a big part of our practice, and that factored into why we wound up closing down. Um, but really, well, I guess that's the answer to the question to why our practice closed. I mean, lots of factors. Um, why we started Eye Dry Needle in 2014 like I mentioned, it was never really our goal to say, let's build this side hustle and sell stuff to people. Mm -hmm. it, really, it really was born out of advocacy, believe it or not. Um, really, tell me more about that. Because it sounds, to me, I'm like, oh, there was a need, but it's advocacy. Like, so tell us, like, yep. what, was the, what was the driving force behind this? So uh, being directly involved with some of the lawsuits between PTs and acupuncturists, mm -hmm one of the items they always include in their, um, in their lawsuit, but in their filings against us is if you read, if you read the label on the side of a serin box of needles, it says for use by an acupuncturist only. Mm -hmm. And I mean, they were sending cease and desist letters to everybody. I mean, including Amazon, anybody selling needles, the APTA actually commissioned a, an independent legal consult, uh, and they found that there's no basis for action there, meaning a PT can use an acupuncture needle to do dry needling. But that whole friction was really what planted the seed in our minds. Is like, okay, let's create something called a dry needle. And, you know, we can make it higher quality. We can kind of innovate it to what we do with the needles to what potentially they do with the needle. Um, so that was the idea. And during our R&D, we basically saw that there was this product uh, four or five years ahead of us in Australia, and that was the Myotech. So we essentially just became their partner. And wow. we were really just a one product company for three years. I mean, we weren't really trying to grow it any bigger. Um, we definitely saw that there, there was a need and there was an interest in the market. So that, you know, 
that's what gave it legs. But really the foundation was let's just call the product what it is, or let's just, part of it's just branding. You just change the name. Right. So it's a, the need, there's, there's an initial need of, well, in order to fight this battle, we got to have a product that we can call our own and no one else has that. And and it's like, Hey, people might actually want to use it, (laughs) you know, and we can basically partner with and, uh, you know, whether it's a a rebranding of another product or rebranding of a basically similar surgical product that we call it a dry needle and you might call it an acupuncture needle. And look, we've got our own thing and people want to buy it because it's fun. It's cool. And who doesn't want to hang out with you guys and you, (laughs) (laughs) you know, like have a stick each other party. Right. Right. But I mean, I will say, I mean, we, we sampled the product. I mean, it, it was a nice, uh, it was a, it's a premium needle at that point. It was the best needle we had ever, uh, had used. So yeah. obviously there's the branding, there's the, I guess the market entry opportunity there, but also it was, it was a, a nice needle. So yeah. it wasn't just like you were taking something off of Alibaba and renaming it dry needle. <laughs> that would have been a lot easier actually. <laughs> <laughs> what was it about the myotech needles that you really liked? in practice and using well I will say it feels different and uh I mean we would notice this a novice clinician like we started using the needles on a level one for kineticore to an experienced clinician you can feel the difference and I mean if you if you don't needle or if you've never used myotech uh it might be hard to to visualize what I'm going to say um is there's really only two innovations they use a higher grade uh surgical stainless steel and then they coat the entire needle shaft with a bioaccepted lubricant. So really the whole idea there is, first of all, I'm not going to speak for acupuncture, but in general, most acupuncture techniques are more superficial and they're just like static placement. You put a needle in superficially and leave it. Mm-hmm. Uh, what we do with dry needling is we get deeper into tissue. So you're penetrating not just subcutaneous, but fascial, myofascial, and even sometimes tendinous and more fibrous tissue. Mm-hmm. So anything we can do to reduce friction, well, I guess, and beyond that, we're not just placing a deep needle. A lot of times we're moving it in and out. Right. So anything we can do to reduce friction or like fascial drag and all that should be patient comfort, but certainly makes it easier for us. Mm-hmm. Wow. So really those two innovations on myotech made sense to us. And now we're seeing, I mean, there's other dry needles and physio needles out there now. It's a similar concept. Let's just make a really consistent shaft and tip which is what you get with the higher grade material and let's coat the needle body because um, I mean, if you're a patient, you can feel the difference in uncoated versus a coated needle. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. And so what's the, what's the number one thing that you guys did to get that out in the market? What was the most successful thing that you did to get awareness of people on the other side of the country, like me, that you guys actually had had some kind of product like this. That's a great question. Cause I'll say, we are still not and never really intend to be just like the big box. You know, we have a, a team of sales reps out there repping our products um, or like the come and get all of your therapies supplies mm-hmm. supplier. I mean, that's never been our, our, I guess our goal or our, our mechanism. So I'd say like from where we started to today, a lot of it is, um, it's digital, it's social media. Um, we'd obviously be really naive to say like, we're, we've been affiliated with Kineticore for several When you have access to, um, even just the exposure on courses, like if a therapist is trained with your needle, that's, that's great exposure. Like the, the likelihood that they'll look to purchase that is high. But again, it's just, we fully believed it was the highest quality needle out there. It was the most expensive needle. Yeah. at the time. And I mean, we just, we felt strongly enough in the branding and the quality that it didn't matter. And yeah. at this point, I mean, we're developing our own needle, which will be out in a few months. Oh, um, awesome. So yeah. like you've gone back to the drawing board to have someone develop a brand new needle. Yeah. yeah. So it's really similar to stuff out there, but we wanted to do uh, everything we could do with our connections to decrease the price. Cause again, the myotech is one of the more, uh, expensive needles out there, but keep all of the attributes I just mentioned, the high quality. Um, I guess it has a conductive metal handle because we're using a lot more stem these days. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's been in the works for the past year, but I think we'll actually be fully stocked September. So we're really awesome. looking forward to that. 
That's cool. Are you guys selling other products these days besides needles? Yeah. I mean, like I mentioned, we were a one product, like a one needle company for almost four years. Mm -hmm. And now in the past nine months, I mean, we're going to onboard our own product. We carry all the stim units you use. Uh, we recently partnered with Rock Tape. So we have your tapes and your instrument assisted in your rock pods and floss and all that. Um, and really, I mean, we're looking to add more products. But again, not necessarily your TheraBand and your BOSU balls, all of that. Yeah. We kind of have this picture of uh, like this innovative clinician. Like what else are these clinicians using that's cutting edge, that's kind of pushing the, the envelope of clinical practice, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Are you like looking at anything that might be used for corrective exercises or um, that part or part of therapy or more of the, um, you know, hands-on treatment side of therapy? Um, well, right now, I mean, product wise, it's tough because consumables are the supplies of what you need to, to purchase. Yeah. But there's some, um, <clears throat> excuse me, some stuff we're working on now, not only in-house, like developing our own education platforms, but partnering with um, groups like you're saying, like that they do focus on the assessment, the corrective exercise piece as it is. That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. What's the, uh, what's next? Like what's the five-year plan? Like you've got a, you've got, um, you see patients privately doing more like a more concierge type of PT or, uh, you've got the eye dry needle, you know, Paul, what's your, what's your big goal? What's your five-year plan? What's your 10-year plan? Um, I have the five-year plan written out and I can't tell you about everything, but it's, <laughs> I mean, continued growth. Um, and again, it's not even necessarily just get more products, like get more exciting products or get a higher number of products. Mm-hmm. I actually just alluded to, we're trying to build, um, we really think what makes us unique, uh, even in the therapy supply space is that we're clinicians. And I mean, we're educators um, and we think that's important. So we're actually going to, it's, it's a value add for customers, but we're going to start developing educational content mm-hmm. and that will, it'll be just online type stuff. We're not trying to do online courses, that sort of thing, but um, it's expert level kind of clinical specialist modules that for the dry needling clinician is how yeah. we'll start. But really we think that we can replicate that with corrective exercise, other manual techniques, taping, whatever it is. But I think almost all this education stuff is moving online um, in the module, like in the three to five minute video sense. So that's our next goal. That's awesome. And, and still combining that with in-person, uh, technique training, um, you know, uh, you know, kind of stuff, not replacing like what we might do if I came to a kinetic course with you guys, but taking that and building that as the foundation for UK, you've learned your hands-on treatment technique. Let's get more clinical reasoning, clinical skill, clinical pearls, that kind of stuff. Exactly. I mean, we're not trying to replicate what Kineticore does because honestly, uh, honestly, they're too good at it. I mean, it's just, and I'm biased. I work with them, but it's like, we're not trying to disclaimer, reinvent the wheel. And honestly, I think if you have no needling training, you do need, like you need a weekend intensive to learn how to do your level one muscles and learn how to do your level two muscles. What I think the next wave of dry needling education will be is kind of that specialized clinician dimension. It's like, okay, you know your level one and your level two muscles. But um, again, in my setting, there's still very specific questions. I mean, we still get questions on advanced courses. Mm. Like how very specifically would I manage an acute ankle sprain, uh, an acute hamstring strain? Like how are the, what are the different, like you know how to treat these muscles individually, but how does that look like in the clinic? What's the clinical application there? How do we put it all together? Yeah, exactly. How does someone put it all together if they've got four people an hour? Oh, four patients? Yeah, an four hour? patients an hour. And you got 10, 15 minutes a patient. I don't know if there's an answer to that one. <laughs> I mean, you have to be really good in eight minutes, I guess, because you need the other set. <laughs> you know, and that's the thing. It's like, I, I, I have a... It, you know, I think there's some amazing clinicians out there that are a little, they're, they can get stuck. You know, they're really good at clinicians and maybe they're not business owners and they get frustrated because yeah, I hear from them all the time, but it's like, uh, how do I, like, how do I do um, the whole SFMA breakout if I only have 30 minute eval? How do I, how can I spend, you know, time doing corrective exercises and some kneeling 
when I've got, you know, four people an hour and I can't, the PTA can't do these things. Right. I think even the most experienced, the most resilient, and even the, let's just say best clinician, whether that's a clinical skill or whatever, um, isn't able to survive in that setting. I mean, that's just how I feel about it. Like, again, whether it's day to day, you're not getting done what you need, or it's kind of my experience, just it catches up with you after time and just physically, mentally, you're not able to maintain that, that RPM or that workload. But I, I don't think there's a magic number that every clinician needs 45 minutes, every clinician needs an hour, but I do feel very strongly that the insurance-based system we're in now is broken and that even the best clinicians are going to be really challenged to survive in that system. Yeah. I mean, if not everyone can like have the, has the risk tolerance to start a business, like what do we need to do as a profession to solve this? Because I mean, I, I tell you, I see it all the time and I see people who can't start a bit, don't have what it takes to start a business, get burnt out and frustrated and leave and do something different. You know, I don't know the answer to that. Cause I think my answer is kind of this grassroots. Like if you keep doing what you're doing, more people like this start branching off from the system. Mm-hmm. Eventually the system will recalibrate itself. I mean, otherwise the only other option is that you start pushing internally, which means getting these big hospital systems and these big like clinic chain systems on board to push back against reimbursement. What, but the conundrum there is those, those hospital systems, those bigger chains get reimbursed well. Like they're not the ones necessarily suffering. It's the the one to five clinic privately owned chain mm-hmm. that the reimbursement is really poor. The only way mathematically, financially to make it up is in volume and it's just not sustainable. Yeah. So I think we're moving more and more towards this like polarized system of you're either part of a big conglomerate or you're branching off and, and doing private pay, cash yeah. pay. Yeah. Paul, what's uh, one question that I didn't ask you that you think would be beneficial for everyone to hear the answer to? Wasn't prepared for that question. I wasn't prepared for you to ask me a question about a question. <laughs> <laughs> like, what haven't I asked you that you, like, what do you, what have you learned in either of your businesses um, through your career that you think that I didn't ask you about that you think would be helpful for people to know? Yeah, I'm a processor, so give me a second, but mm-hmm. I think that's a great question. And I'm almost putting it in my head like uh if I sitting here right now was going to talk to Paul 2011, 2012 and I was starting my practice, what would I want to know? Um and I mean there's the okay, here's the answer. I'll start with the really clichés like um you know, if you are passionate and you devote the energy and you put the commitment in to your practice, it's going to work. And that's, again, me looking back um, before I started up during the startup and then years later is the analogy that stuck with me the most. I read it in a book or maybe you told me about it. I don't know. It's like when you start a cash PT practice, like it's obviously best to continue a part-time and then start your cash pay, practi- uh, cash pay practice part-time. But eventually there's this point where you dive all in. Mm-hmm. And that point feels like you're jumping out of a plane. And really it's like, you know, you're, you're falling, falling, falling. And you have a parachute and you just have to trust that that parachute's going to catch at some point. Because I mean, the first six months, sometimes the first year, it's you work hard and it's always not immediate return but it's worth it. So again, the cliche answer is like, if you devote yourself, like your time, your energy, your resources, everything you have to it, uh, it'll work is the cliche answer. The more specific answer I'd give you is almost back to the question you just asked me about how do we change the system? I think the only way the system changes um, is more of us. And that's not just, like encouraging more people to start cash pe- cash PT or cash pay practices. Mm-hmm. But it does mean support clinicians like that. Like I would say support Aaron LeBauer. I would say, I mean, I'm not necessarily here to promote my company, but I would say support companies like us. Like we're a PT owned company. Like to some degree, if you can go um, 
if you can, it's almost, if you can support, support a small business or the large conglomerate, I'd say the, the small effect that it seems of supporting a small business of supporting a, an actual clinician or an actual clinician's practice mm-hmm. seems small, like a ripple, but uh, that has massive implications. I mean, that's the only way we can kind of change the power shift. Yeah. That's awesome. Dude, that's powerful. <laughs> yeah, man. No, that's great. Those, those are great points and, and things that people need to hear. So thank you. Um, Paul, if someone wants to follow up with you, find out more about you, your companies, um, where do they find you? Um, so I still run all of our social media. So on Instagram and Facebook, that's at iDryNeedle. Uh, on Twitter, we are at US Dry Needling. So I mean, literally, if you write a DM, I'm the one that responds. Okay. And I would say, I mean, uh, me running it is like, I, I keep it valuable in my mind, I think. I mean, I, I put research, I put state updates. Uh, like I said, I, I repost, I support other clinicians out there that are doing cash pay and doing needling and all that. So that's probably the best way. Otherwise, I mean, I freely give out my email on courses. So mm-hmm. that is just Paul at I Dry Needle. Okay, awesome, awesome. And, and you gave me a uh, coupon code. So if anyone wants to go try the dry, the myotech dry needles or Paul stuff, I, Paul sent me, is that the right coupon code? Yeah. Get 5% off. So That's we'll right. put that, we'll put that details in the show notes uh, for you guys. But Paul sent me, just call him up and say, Paul sent me. Don't say Aaron sent me. Paul <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure what would happen if you write Aaron sent me. I know. Maybe you'll get 50%. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a secret code. It's like a cheat code. It's a secret, secret code. It's like, um, back in the day when uh, Mortal Kombat, you, to get the guy to turn into the dragon to rip your head off and pull the <laughs> spine out, like you had, you couldn't look that up on the internet. You had to call someone or know someone or, you know, whatever. I mean, this was back in 90s. That's exactly what our coupon codes are like. <laughs> it's harder than the whole uh, In-N-Out Burger thing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> secret menu. So, Paul, thank you so much for being here today. I really appreciate uh, you coming on the show. Um, for the Cash PD Lunch Hour, this is Aaron LeBauer and Paul Kalor, and, and we'll see you guys next time. Hey, what's up? It's Aaron. Real quick, if you're just starting a cash-based physical therapy practice, or you already have one, and you want to learn how to grow it and scale it, this is for you. I just released my brand new book, The Cash PT Blueprint, because I want to get this book in the hands of every physical therapist out there. I want to give it away to you for free. All I ask is that you pay a little bit of shipping and handling, and you'll not only get the steps to create your own cash practice, but the tools to grow it and scale it beyond what everyone else thinks is possible. To snag your copy right now, go to cashptblueprintbook.com. That's C-A-S-H-P-T-B-L-U-E-P-R-I-N-T-B-O-O-K.com. And when you get your copy, give me a shout out somewhere on social media, and we'll talk to you soon.